Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we conclude our message series that is casting the vision for St. Luke's in our coming years. And just imagine an entire community coming alive to the power of life in Christ. Now in order to see that happen, we have this very specific mission. And the, the Great Commission is every church's mission, but how we live out that Great Commission here at St. Luke's in this place, in this time, is awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. Now, if we are successful in that mission, we will see all kinds of new marks of discipleship, transformed lives. We'll see transformed lives of freedom because we are set free from the law. We'll see transformed lives of joy as we connect with each other and celebrate worship and Christian life, even through suffering. We'll see transformed lives of sacrifice, that we are serving God to such a degree that it impacts our lifestyle, and that we will see transformed lives of renewal as we experience more and more God's grace, share that grace with those around us, and then see God begin to transform who we are. Now, in order to see those transformations take place, we have three strategies, three things that we are to do, each and every one of us, that we are to participate with worship gatherings, like we are exactly right now, that we're supposed to celebrate time together in spiritual formation groups, places where we learn to, to grow and learn and serve. And then today, we conclude with community connections where we reach out into the lives of our neighbors and make an impact for the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to note that, that these strategies aren't just uh, pick two out of the three or, or pick one and do that really, really well. It's make sure that in your life you are working in all of these areas of worship, of groups, and in the community. Now, when you do these three things, we believe that you will start to experience this transformed life of freedom, joy, sacrifice, and renewal. So today, we wrap this all up with the discussion on community connections. And today's short parable is packed with things for us to consider as we look for more and more ways to connect with our community. I want to talk about just a little bit who we are to serve who it is that we are to serve. Me personally, I love, to, I love to cook and I love to entertain friends at home. People I know, people who are, are safe, people that I trust, people that I appreciate spending time with. My dad is quite the opposite. He does more what this parable today is talking about. It was without fail that we'd be going to our Thanksgiving Day service or our Christmas Eve service and dad is scanning the sanctuary. He's looking for people who are by themselves, who have no family that they're sitting with. And then usually they're a little bit on the awkward side, maybe a little less desirable to spend time with. And that's the person that my dad invites to our dinner table. He invites that person that is just kind of awkward and I really don't want to spend time with, but that's the person that dad invites. I really respect him for that. He still does that to this day. 
Now, see, this is, as we consider our text and our parable this morning, it talks about people who are essentially like the least of these, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, because these people have absolutely nothing to offer in return because they have nothing. But I think that we can look at this as being more than just physically being the least of these. Because there is relative prosperity from both a physical, financial, and a spiritual perspective. So a friend, a brother, a relative, or a rich neighbor could be physically prosperous, but spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually poor, crippled, lame, or blind. And isn't it just like our fallen humanity to like to compare and measure ourselves against one another? See, Jesus has already been critical of our desire of being things that, that we want to be, things like being first, being found, being big, being important. And here Jesus ties all of these concepts together with, with one similar aspect, that we love to be bookkeepers. The human race is absolutely addicted to bookkeeping, of keeping records, of remembering scores. And yet, if God has announced anything in the person and work of Jesus Christ, it is that Jesus, once and for all, has retired the bookkeeping department in heaven permanently. See, it is our sacred conviction that the only way to keep God off of our backs or to keep Him happy is to live a good life, to keep on adding to our ledger more and more good works. But that is not God's conviction. Because you see, God has already taken all of the handwriting against us and erased it all, completely making our ledger empty. All of our sins, all of our problems, all of our mistakes, he has eliminated entirely. See, in, in Jesus' death and resurrection, God declared that he isn't the least bit interested in examining any of our books ever again. He's nailed them all to the cross. That's the point of Jesus' concept of this parable of reciprocation and repayment. Jesus is saying, look, I, I, you are absolutely enslaved to your bookkeeping. Drop dead to the accounting. That's the transformed life of freedom, that we are set free from living that. What's the point then of us keeping records when God is not? Besides, I think that we could argue that it's not others who are the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. I think it's really us. That we are poor in spirit. And Jesus, in his ridiculous amounts of grace, invites people to his banquet that have nothing to give him in return. Us. He invites us to his table. He invites us to his kingdom where we have nothing that we could offer him in return. But yet in his grace, he gives it to us. You see, we are spiritually poor in spirit. And that means on our own spiritual condition, we could never do anything to please God or merit our salvation. To be poor in spirit means that we recognize our sinfulness and our need for repentance and confession to receive his absolution and forgiveness. Being poor in spirit, we are blessed by God as he hears our confession and trades our sin with his righteousness. 
the poor in spirit are blessed indeed. So that's the who. I want to share with you the why, why we are to serve. See, there's great joy in doing good for someone who can do nothing to repay you. See, the stories that God has worked in our lives are not meant to just be kept to ourselves, but to share them to provide light to those who are now where we once were. And all people, regardless of worldly success or worldly worthlessness, are worthy of being loved by God. And in His grace, He chooses each one of us to share His love with them through our hands, our feet, our mouths, and our lives. Now, and we are to do this not with our eyes looking forward to the reward that waits us in heaven, but because we live transformed lives of freedom, joy, sacrifice, and renewal. Jesus is letting us know that even though it will not be repaid from an earthly perspective, the eternal rewards that are coming are full and complete. And and we're supposed to be so satisfied with the gift of Jesus in our life that our awakened hearts continually seek the welfare of those around us. For Jesus, and with him, we already have everything. There is nothing more that we need. So how are we to do this? How do we serve? Number one, with humility. In our text today, it says everyone who, humble, who exalts himself, this is in verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is at a, at, at a dinner table with a bunch of Pharisees who have invited him that day. And it's in that context that he talks about humility just before this parable that he shares. Humility is, a, is, a, is an amazing concept that's a challenge for us who struggle with pride to continually seek more and more of. C.S. Lewis understands this, and he says this in his book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis writes, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. See, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. When we serve, we are not to serve with a we are the church and we're here to help kind of attitude where we see ourselves as as above and those we serve as lowly. 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, Each of you should use whatever gift you have and receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves... They should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Our epistle reading for this morning talks about how anything good that we do to serve our neighbor is done by the power of God for the glory of God, not for ourselves. See, God longs to serve his people with his strength and his words through your hands and hearts and let God get all the glory. There's a a great book written by Corbett and Fickert titled, When Helping Hurts. 
But see, sometimes we come into a situation and we think we know the solution and the best way to accomplish that solution. But sometimes when we approach serving other people in that capacity, we end up doing more harm than good. They illustrate three different types of service to our community. Number one is relief, and then rehabilitation, and then development. See, relief is that when an emergency hits, like say, I don't know, Ian comes into our lives and threatens to wash it all away. There are people who in that moment can do nothing to help themselves but are in desperate need of assistance. That's, that's relief. That's when somebody else comes in and does a majority of the work for that person who is in need and just stops the bleeding. Then the next level of help and assistance is called rehabilitation. Now, rehabilitation happens when you start to rebuild their life to the point of where it was before the catastrophe or the, strat or, or the, or the, the, the disaster. And in this phase of help, the helpee and the helper work together. And the helpee has skin in the game and works alongside until they get back to the place where they were before. Then the third layer of assistance is called development. And development is really where the person who is the helper is really just the coach, the mentor, the cheerleader, and the helpee is the one doing most of the work and working towards bettering themselves and improving better than they were before. Now, helping hurts when you apply the wrong level of help and aid to the person in need. Helping hurts when you just apply the same level of care without having an eye towards how do we move them to the next phase. How do we go from relief to rehabilitation and from rehabilitation to development? And there are many, many ways to make these connections in our community. If you are a parent of a, of a young child who is still in the home, then your primary way of connecting to your community is sharing your faith with your young child, raising them in the faith. It's your workplaces to let your curiosity awaken your heart to draw you into listening and having deeper conversations with those around you. In your neighborhood, you invite the people on your side of the street to a driveway cookout just to get acquainted. You engage with other organizations in the community. If you live in the Lutheran Haven, you're caring for your neighbors, providing transportation, visiting, welcoming, including new residents, and praying. And of course, there are always places and ways to engage with service groups and activities here at St. Luke's. For far too long, we've been talking about this idea called goods and grace, a grocery store that's for people in that middle level, rehabilitation uh, section of providing help, where they have skin in the game because people who are living from 200% of poverty to the poverty level make too much money to qualify for any governmental assistance, but not enough money to make ends meet. And so they need to choose between an electric bill or buying groceries. And oftentimes we'll buy the pay for the electrical bill and then go to a food pantry for their groceries and leave 
without their dignity. Because you see, these individuals don't want a handout. They want the dignity of knowing that they could purchase food at a price they could afford. And so this idea of goods and grace is exactly that, a food store geared towards those who live in that type of demographic. And for a long time, we've been looking for a place. Over a year, we've been looking for a place. And I would like you to, to please include this in your regular prayers. Uh, because right now, we have received a lease agreement from an owner. We've returned it after our lawyer has had a chance to review it and make sure that it was the right place and the right time for us. And it's being reviewed by the owner as we speak. So please pray that it falls on receptive ears and that that lease agreement gets completed because I would love to start feeding Alice in the new year. It's on a great location, the corner of 436 and 1792, exactly where we were praying that it would be. This is an opportunity in a moment for us to reach into our community and make a big impact. So whether you are at home with your child or you're working at work with a curiosity towards others or inviting your neighborhood friends or connecting with organizations in our community or connecting through St. Luke's into our community, this is a major piece of your discipleship. That when you combine that with worship gatherings and spiritual formation groups, you will see God transform your life. And may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.